buy right so you won't get hurt. Real estate is cyclic. None of us has a crystal bolt. You know when it's going to turn. So make your money when you buy. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal best ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from the bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payment to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all the interest up front versus upon distribution. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Joseph Goslin. How you doing, Joseph? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, my pleasure. And nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Joseph. He is a multifamily investor. And in fact, in 2017, led the successful acquisition of a 102-unit multifamily property in Lubbock, Texas. I'm actually going there tomorrow. He is a multifamily investor, as I mentioned, and his company is called EBG Acquisitions. He has led a group of acquisitions of over $11 million in real estate. And with that being said, Joseph, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your listeners. I'm a longtime listener and I love everything you guys do on the show. I came to the States back in 2007 from Israel. And as you can imagine, we landed at the most horrible and most (laughs) wonderful time in the real estate cycle. Yep. We were lucky enough to kind of recognize that this is the bottom. It's as worse as it gets. And we were able to make some purchases of single families, right? It was right after we didn't reach that poor dad and some other things that were going on in my life. So we made a few investments. My wife and I both got licensed so we can get more familiar with the real estate system in Texas. And then we did that for a few years. And then at some point you realize that single families is just not scalable. And 
In my eyes, there's a lot more risk in single families. So that really was the point in time where I decided to kind of graduate to something better. And after all the research I did, multifamily was the thing that I wanted to go. And it was a lot of work and a lot of grind. But long story short, I got to the point where I was able to purchase my first multifamily property, which was a 22 unit. And then we went to something bigger, which came in a lot faster. And that's the 102 units you described earlier in Lubbock. And from that point on, it's kind of like a snowball. More things come your way, more opportunities, more investors that you talk to. And that's what we do today. We're looking for great opportunities for our investors in Texas secondary markets. Mm. Well, let's talk about this. And fortunately, we have the opportunity to dig into the story a little bit. So first, you mentioned something and you said that you bought some single family homes, but it wasn't scalable. And you said something interesting to me, and that was you think that single families have more risk than multi. What risk are you referring to? This is a little bit counterintuitive, so I'll try to make it simple. When I have a single family house as an investment, if I don't have a tenant in the property, then I pay the mortgage, I pay the insurance, I pay the bills, and I take 100% of the risk, right? Also, most chances are that as an investor, you bought it on your personal name, so it's a full recourse loan. And I had a situation with one of my rentals that I ended up paying about $40,000 in a very short period of time for just life that happens. We had foundation issues, we had plumbing issues, we had a garage door go all kinds of things. And that's a risk. How many first-time investors, how many investors that have one or two properties can afford paying $40,000 out of the pocket? Mm-hmm. So for me, that's a risk. And when you transition to multifamily, if you have 100 units, you can have 10 units vacant and you still have 90 other residents that basically pay for your mortgage, pay for the salaries, pay for the maintenance. So for me, it's a lot less risk. And then it goes around to the mortgages side of things, usually at this size, now you're looking at non-recourse loans. It's no longer on my personal name. It's no longer on my personal credit. So it's a combination. And this is more about my investors than myself because for passive investors in a syndication, we keep them three degrees of separations from anything that happened on the property. So it starts with the property being owned by an LLC. So you get the protection of an LLC. And then all of our investors are limited partners, which means they have even less responsibility within the LLC. And then third is what I said is the non-recourse mortgages. So the exposure for those investors is significantly lower and less risky. Mm -hmm. And when we're looking at accredited investors, these are high net worth individuals. Usually we have professionals, engineers, lawyers, doctors, people that on a regular basis, walk around with a bullseye on their back for lawsuits, if they can invest their money without adding to the size of that bullseye, it's a win for everyone. I hadn't thought of it exactly like you were describing, and that's really interesting. I'm glad you talked through that. You said after the single families, you bought a 22 unit. Was that all with your own money? Yes. We bought, like I said, in 08, 09, 10, when everything was at the bottom. So we were able to refinance some of our singles and take the cash out and use it to buy that first one. 
And where is that located? You're in Dallas-Fort Worth, right? Plano specifically? It's in Salina, just okay. a, a few miles north of Plano. Okay. And you bought a 22-unit. Tell us about that in terms of purchase price, business plan, and management. It was really hard to find my first one. And I know this is a struggle a lot of the first-time multifamily investors are having is to find the first opportunity. So this one actually came in as we did marketing ourselves after I got frustrated waiting on brokers to send me decent deals. And I spoke to the owners. We agreed on a seller financing terms. And what was wonderful about this thing is the previous owner was an 80-year-old guy that literally built the building. He was a custom home builder for years. He was never a multifamily operator. So he was kind of half of it maintaining himself, some usage of real estate agents in the area that were helping him loosen it up. So there was a lot of value at play just in management. The property is pretty new. It's well built. It's in great condition. But when you get to a point where you don't respond fast enough to your residence request and you let them pay on the 15th or the 20th, whenever they want, really, there's a lot of value out over there. And I believe that within about six months from buying the property, just by bringing a third-party property management and putting the right processes in place, we were able to increase the property value in about $600,000. How much did you buy it for? 1.6. Okay. So, and valuation right now is about 2.2, 2.3. And that's just by getting the right processes in place. And we believe in treating our residents well, build a community. So we're not using stick, we're using carrots. So we came in and in order to solve the late payment situation, what we did is we told them, okay, let's have a contest. And everybody that pays on or before the first get into a drawing for 40 inch LED TV. Well, guess what? We had most of the tenants pay on time for the first time in years. And it cost us about, what, $200 for an LED TV? Mm-hmm. Was that the main management issue that you had that really pushed it up 600000 No, that wouldn't be enough, just mm-hmm. getting them to pay on time. So what we did was every apartment was individually metered, but it was never charged back. So we implemented rubs. And water and sewer up in Salina cost a lot of money. So that's about fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a year that we could recover just by telling people you're going to have to pay for your own water bill. What's that communication like to them? Because before they're not paying it, now, congratulations, now you have to pay your own water bill. Well, you can't really do that. It has to happen with the renewal of the leases. So I can't go to someone that is in the middle of the lease and tell them, surprise, you have extra fees to pay, legally wise. So what we're doing is as we renew in the leases, we add in a clause in the contract that says, starting now, you're going to have to pay your water bill. So it helps us with either new residents that come in. This is a fact. That's what's going on on the property. And the residents that are renewing their leases have a choice between this or leaving the property, really. But we try to be fair and honest with our residents. We did not double tap them. So even though a lot of them were way below market rents, we didn't increase the market rents and implement rubs at the same time. Mm. So we kind of decided to go with rubs first, and then we'll do the rents later with the existing residents. 
but new leases that come in, they are at market rent and have the water bill built into the contract. So we see a lot of increase in our gross revenue just by turning units around. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mean to cut you off. You were going into another thing that you did to increase the value. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was the other thing, right? That was the rub program. The water and increasing the rent for everything that comes into the market. Uh, Okay, got it. I'm with you. Now, there are still residents on the property that hasn't had their rent increased since 07 because that's how the old guy was run place. So as we renew the leases, we're going to work with them to slowly increment it. Again, for me, a key thing for multifamily is operation efficiency and retention. For me to take a resident out and rehab the unit and then find a new resident, even though we already have a waiting list, it's a period of time that I'm not going to have that income. Mm. So I'm going to try to increase my retention as much as possible so it'll be more efficient. You mentioned that you got tired of waiting on brokers to send you deals, so you started marketing yourself. What specifically did you do? I did yellow letters, I did postcards, I did cold calling, whatever I could in order to find the owners and try to have a conversation with them directly. Mm -hmm. And I talked to quite a few owners before I found my first one because multifamily owners are not unsophisticated investors. Usually they're more sophisticated, so they know the market is hot and some of them were just asking unrealistic prices. Mm -hmm. So for these guys... We couldn't make a deal, but I was glad to find someone that was just ready to sell. And he was very honest and reasonable with his asking price. For what I was getting, I thought it was a great deal. I'd like to learn a little bit more about that because as you mentioned, it's challenging for people to get their first deal. And even after you get your first one, it can be challenging to get good deals consistently. And we have to keep on digging. I'm sure you've come across this too. So you said you did yellow letters, cold calling, direct mail. Which one of those actually delivered this deal to you? Do you remember? No one is specific. It's not like I got all of them responding to the same thing. So I spoke with multiple owners and they each responded to something else. That one specific was a postcard. Postcard. Okay. So on the postcard, what was on the postcard? That specific postcard was about it's time to sell. The market is hot. There is a lot of opportunities going on around. Let me make you a fair offer, which will let you retire and move on. And again, it was an 80 years old guy. It kind of fell in place at the right time. And he just saw that and called you up? Yeah. And that's the thing about direct marketing. It can never generate an opportunity. It just puts you in the right spot at the right time when that opportunity happens to the seller. Mm, That's a great point. Right? When they're ready... When they had to deal with one last thing that they didn't like to deal with, or they had a a fight with the wife in the morning about the property, or whatever life event happened to them right prior for you sending that postcard, that's the opportunity of direct mail, which is why everybody tells you, repeat, right? Mm -hmm. Do it again and again and again, because it's about being there at the right time, and you cannot time that then. How did you get the address? My wife and I are still licensed real estate agents, so we have access to the tax system. Okay. And you looked up the certain apartment communities that had certain characteristics and then got the addresses, put in a spreadsheet, and then mailed it out? Exactly. And our mailing list is a constant 
refinement job. We wanted to find properties that didn't have any transactions in the last few years, that had certain size, that had certain areas, cities or counties that we wanted. So we continuously refine our mailing list. Mm -hmm. And you refine it by manually doing it or some other process? So I have a virtual assistant that helps me with this, but a lot of it is myself. We go sometimes down to the point where we actually look on Google Earth and take a look at the pictures of the property because different counties have different level of record keeping. So some of them will call a multifamily a commercial building and some of it will call it apartment and some of it will call a commercial building a multifamily. So we have to constantly refine the list. Mm-hmm. What type of seller financing did you get on that property? That one was a great opportunity. We got in at about 15% down. And how is it structured? We have a 10-year term, 30 years amortization. Because of the low down, we have scheduled some equity payment over the next three years to kind of increase into the principal. Mm -hmm. And I think it's capped at about 6%. It's tied to the prime, but it's capped at 6%. Okay. And the balloon payment or equity payment that happens over the course of those 10 years, is that because you proactively want to do it or is that negotiated in advance? It was just negotiated because I didn't want to put the whole 25% down ahead of time. So we negotiated 15% at the closing and another 10% in the first three years. Okay. That's great. This is inspiring for sure for me and for other listeners Let's talk about the 102 unit in Lubbock. But before we transition to that, is there anything we haven't talked about as it relates to the 22 unit that you think we should mention? No, I think we're ready to move to the 102. 102. Tell us about that. So part of this business is that the commercial real estate brokers, and I am one, so I can speak from the other side as well, is it's a probability business. If they have two buyers bringing offers and one of them is a first-time buyer and the other one has closed on thousands of units, there is a higher probability for you to close the transaction than the first-time buyer. So commercial brokers have mailing lists, they have shorter lists, they have short lists, and they have a really short list, right? (laughs) And as they get to know you more and as they do more business with you, you advance through the ranks of those lists. So when a commercial broker gets a listing, first he calls his really short list. And then if he can't sell it there, he goes to his short list and then he increases the circle of people that gets access to the property. So once I closed on the 22, I started getting the, oh, so you're a closer. Come Uh take a look at this and come take a look at that. I was still not getting the best deals, but I was getting better deals. And the Lubbock property kind of came in through my property management company Because again, now they know I'm a closer. They've been working with me for a while. They had a property up in Lubbock and the one that we bought was really bordering that one. They saw one of the brokers they've worked with in the past walking the property and they called him in and said, hey, what's going on? They said, yeah, the sellers are thinking about selling it. So they told him, we got the best buyer for you. And we were able to kind of put it on the contract before it ever went on the market. Mm. And what'd you buy it for? That one was a 4.2 purchase price with about $800,000 worth of rehab project. And that was the purchase. We had to raise $1.4 million. We got 
Fannie Mae debt, which also included quite a large sum from the rehab budget into it, and it's 102 units. So we're still working on it. We closed at the end of May, and we're still in the rehab process. It's slower than we thought it would take, but within the margins of our expectations. Mm -hmm. When you close on a deal of that size, after going from a 22 unit, what are some things that surprised you or you weren't necessarily prepared for based on your previous experience with the 22 unit? Property related or process related? Both. Okay. So start with the process related. I did that as the syndication lead all by myself. I didn't have partners or groups behind me. I just went out, friends, family, and accredited investors. And I talked to a little over 150 people in order to get that equity raised. Two main insights is one, the equity raise piece was a lot harder than I anticipated. And the other conclusion that derives directly from that is I'm not doing that again without a partner. So (laughs) since then, I found a really great partner that is going to come with us on our next transactions. And we're geared up for the next one to make it a lot smoother. Mm. And then with the 102 units, what was the overall business model? Was it just renovations, put in that $800,000 and then increase rents and then refinance or was there something else? We are geared toward a long-term buy and hold on that one. It's in a great location in Lubbock. Lubbock is a fantastic market that is on a path of growth right now. The main driver over there is the university. I'm sure you know all about it if you're going to be there tomorrow. Yep. I'm going to be there Friday, so we're just going to miss each other. Oh, wow. (laughs) So the university alone brings about $1.2 billion a year to the city. 300,000 people. So everybody thinks secondary market, but this is Texas-sized secondary market. Mm -hmm. And with the location of this property, it was great. It was one of the main streets that have a lot of traffic exposure. But our really unfair advantage in this entire purchase was our property management company. The company I work with, aside from the fact that they manage over 5,000 units and they are 35 years in the business, they also manage five other properties in Lubbock including one, like I said, that was literally bordering with that one. This really helped us tighten up our underwriting to the point where we knew exactly how much we were going to pay salaried. We knew exactly what the maintenance costs. We know what the clientele is, what the demographic, what they're willing to pay, what they're not willing to pay. So it took a lot of the guesswork mm-hmm. or the estimation work out of the equation for us in this purchase. And this property had great bones, it was just neglected on the outside. So I'll give you an example. We were doing the inspections and all the exterior lights were out. So at night, this property was peach black. Now, when we were doing inspection around noontime, I see a nurse leave the property and go to work. So you know that nurse is coming back around midnight, 1 a.m. Yep. Do you feel she feels safe coming in? Not at all. I wouldn't. Exactly. Even just the risk of tripping down and falling. And do you think she walks around in the hospital and say, hey, everybody come live in my community? No, she tells everybody to stay away. Mm-hmm. So that's really where we like to pick distressed properties and transition them into a community, into a place where people want to come in. So we got specials for law enforcement and firefighters and EMTs and medical professionals and teachers the kind of residents we want in the property. 
we'll do events, parties, we'll do, for now, right now we have a ongoing contest going October, November, December. If you pay it on time, five residents get drawn for movie tickets. Hmm. It doesn't cost us a lot to give that, but the residents enjoy the opportunity to get these things and they feel there's a community going on. So that nurse walks around the hospital, really says, come live in my community and not warn people about our community. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? That's a good one. I stick to three basic rules for real estate, and it doesn't matter if it's a $20,000 house or a $5 million apartment community. And those rules are you make your money when you buy. That's rule number one. I know everybody said rule number one is location, but for me, rule number one is you make your money when you buy. Buy right so you won't get hurt. Real estate is cyclic. None of us has a crystal bolt. You know when it's going to turn. So make your money when you buy. Rule number two for us is location because that's the one thing you cannot change about a property. And rule number three is buy for cash flow because hope is not a strategy. And for everything I've done in real estate, I stuck to those three rules. And yes, it's frustrating. We have to let go to a lot of the opportunities that come across our desk. But you stick to those, you won't go wrong. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book? Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great book, but it doesn't warn everything that's going to happen your way. So I'm going to go with the one thing for Gary Keller. Mm, yes strong book best ever deal you've done the lubbock deal no doubt what's a mistake you've made on a transaction that you haven't talked about that's a good one putting it on the wrong corporate entity so putting real estate on an s corp is not really advisable let's just say that and obviously you're not a legal person but what do you do for your other deals instead of s corp That really depends on the person and their personal situation. For us, it was wrong to put it on an S-Corp. It might be right for somebody else. We use a serious LLC right now. And of course, when you go to the syndication, each one of them is an LLC by its own. Best ever way you like to give back? Children's Hospital. There is a medical children's hospital in Dallas and in Plano. And that's our favorite target for our charitable actions. One of the things that we do, for example, is... Every time I see the great deals on Amazon or Disney or something like that for just stuffies, toys, I will just buy hundreds of dollars worth of toys and they'll just go over there and hand it over to the kids and they love it. Oh, that's great. That's good long-term benefit and then also short-term as well for everyone involved, yourself included. 
How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Our website, ebgacquisitions.com, is probably the best way. I'm also very visible on the multifamily forum on BiggerPockets. Email, phone, I'm very easy to find. Just Google my name. Well, you were very insightful and I'm incredibly grateful that you were on the show and talked about a couple things. One is just what you're doing in the multifamily realm, but two, how you're doing it and how you found your first deal, the 22 unit. And I love the quote. I hadn't heard this phrase this way before, where it's direct mail does not generate an opportunity. It puts you top of mind for when the seller wants to sell. And that's why you have to do it consistently. And you didn't say it exactly like that. I'm paraphrasing. That's the gist of it. And I'm really, really resonates with me. And I'm sure a lot of best ever listeners who might be doing some direct mail and might feel let down because they haven't generated something, but you have to be consistent with it. And then just you getting on the phone and calling people and doing it time after time. I mean, that's what generates deals. And then coming across the seller financing structure, which allowed you to bring 15 instead of 25% down and then structuring accordingly. And also with the 102 unit, congrats on that and best of luck as you implement that business plan. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, Joseph, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. It was an honor. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end of the work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs, Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.